Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. And then, of course, it talks about the discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, I digressed, in a sense, from that verse to give some examples of the wonder and the grandeur and the greatness of God's Word and revelation and truth. And I spoke, if you remember, on the covering, the covering of God as it goes right through Scripture. It begins in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sin, animals are slain and they are covered with the skin of animals. And then it goes right through the Bible and we come to the book of Revelation and we come to the marriage supper of the Lamb and the church becomes the bride and he's covered by the bridegroom in becoming the bride of Christ. And right through we have the power of God's word and its sharpness as it tells us about God's covering. We have family covering, governmental covering, church covering, work covering. And then my last message, I started another, one of the great themes that shows us the grandeur and wonder of God's word. And we looked at the bite of the serpent and God's anti-venom. And once again, it's one of those great themes of Scripture that, that begin in Genesis. And in Genesis, we see the serpent and its, his activity as he brings about the fall of mankind. And then we come to the book of Revelation, and Revelation 12, 9 says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. And we go to chapter 20, verse 2, it says, He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old who is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit. And then finally he was thrown into the lake of fire. Once again, one of the great themes of Scripture that show us the power of God's Word beginning in Genesis and ending in Revelation. And I wanted to take this great biblical theme and powerful tree further. And I want to thank Pastor Marty for giving me the opportunity at least to bring this to a conclusion because I believe this is one of the great truths of God's Word that many do not fully understand and comprehend. You know, it all began in the Garden of Eden with God's judicial pronouncement, His verdict, His judgment that came from the bar of heaven's court. When the devil succeeded, when the serpent succeeded to beguile Adam and Eve and, and they succumbed to the temptation and uh, they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 3.14 says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, And I will put enmity between you and the woman 
between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Then that was the story of history. The battle between good and bad, between light and darkness. The enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of God. And then it reaches its focal point, which is the focal point of history and eternity, the cross. And the seed of the woman's heel was bruised as the devil forced Jesus to walk the pathway of the cross. You see, the devil thought he was successful. He maneuvered events. He bruised the heel of the seed of the woman that forced Jesus to go to the cross. And he considered that this was his greatest triumph. He had succeeded in destroying the plan of God, the plan of salvation, the plan of redemption. But on the cross, the seed of the woman bruised the head of the serpent by once and for all, destroying his cunning, destroying his evil planning, destroying his manipulating, his genius as the destroyer of humanity. You see, the seed of the woman bruised the head of the serpent. And when Jesus claimed and said, it is finished, it wasn't that the devil had succeeded. It was that God's plan of redemption was complete and fulfilled. And redemption and salvation was brought. This was the greatest triumph and achievement that God alone could orchestrate. And it passes history and has a place in eternity. Jesus' words... It is finished. We're his greatest triumph. In John 3.14, Jesus said to Nicodemus, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And these words take us back to Numbers 21, where God judged his people, the children of Israel, because they, they got sick of manna. They got sick of, manna was angels' food. They got sick of God's provision. Manna represents the word of God and whenever you, you know, don't ever lose an appetite for the word of God. Don't ever feel it's boring and it's dull. This is what happened to Israel. And they began to look back and long for the spices of Egypt and wondered why God had brought them into this wilderness not seeing the land of promise and the land of Canaan. And so God, in, judge, in judgment, sent fiery serpents. Fiery serpents. Now, the word fiery means really active. You know, often you see snakes asleep. These weren't. You know, they were out. They were out. Uh, and, uh, and the fiery serpents would bite the Israelites. The venom would kill them. And they came to Moses and they said, Moses, we're sorry. You know, it's so wrong for us to 
act as we have. Can you pray to God that God will save us, that God will do something? And God told Moses to do one of the most unusual things in terms of remedying the situation. God said, make a brazen serpent. And that brazen serpent would be made by beating, beating the brass, beating it thin enough to form a large serpent. And then that serpent was placed upon a pole. And Moses said that whenever you're bitten by the serpent, look up to the brazen serpent. Believe that you will be healed as God has commanded that as you look, you will be healed. And as they did, they were healed. They did not die. This was God's provision. And the wonder of this story is, and this is what I want to continue this morning, is that the cure that the cure for the sting of the serpent, the anti-venom, the serum that would bring life and healing came from the serpent, came from the brazen serpent. That brazen serpent, as they looked and believed God, healing came and wholeness came. And we've been looking at extravagant love. And I want to tell you that God's extravagant love is seen in the fact that the things that hurt us and ail us the most, the things that can destroy us, God within those things has, has put a way out, has put a solution, has put a cure. God has not just left us to our own devices to wander and blunder and fail and fall, but every step of the way, God has given out of those situations a serum that can bring wholeness and health to our life. Anti-venoms are made at great cost and effort from the venom, from the poison of the snake. Spiritually, this is one of the most amazing truths in Scripture. The sting of the serpent can take on many forms, and they all lead to death if there is no cure. But God provides the anti-venom from the very bite that would destroy us. And in the incident that we have in Numbers concerning the brazen serpent, we find that one of the bites, one of the stings of the serpent is sickness. And the Israelites in the wilderness, were, when bitten by the fiery serpents, became sick and died. And sickness came into the world as a result of the fall and is something that we all have to contend with. And we praise God for the abilities that God has placed in people, in his creation, that have come up with the wonders of medicine. 
But beyond medicine, God has given us a pathway to divine healing. Beyond what man can do, there comes a time maybe when there's nothing he can do. God still has given us a provision. And in Isaiah 53, 5, we read, and Isaiah, I don't know where, this was revelation, amazing revelation. Talks about the coming Messiah, the coming Christ, and he says, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. And that refers to our cure of sin. The wonder of the cross and the blood that brings forgiveness and wholeness and relationship. And then he says, and by his stripes we are healed. And in that mysterious statement we have the cure for sickness. You see, Jesus could not take, could take upon himself the sin of the world. It was something foreign that came upon him. And when he hung upon the cross, he had the load of human sin. Something we cannot fully understand, but we appreciate and thank God for it because our sins were there. But you see, his sinless body could not in any way take our sicknesses. There was nothing in a creation, in the Son of God, there was no sin, there was no failure, there was nothing that sickness could adhere to. And so all that God could do, God, through Isaiah, said, and by his stripes we are healed. What God could do is that when Jesus was scourged, when he was whipped to the point of death, he was able in that experience of stripes and scourging to feel the pain and the agony of every sickness, every ailment. He was able to feel that, but he was not able to experience the sickness. And then on the cross, when finally it was time to make sure that all those, the three on the cross, were dead. They came to Jesus and normally they would break. Those crucified their legs to make sure they died. They saw Jesus had died. And the Bible said not a bone of his will be broken. You see, God was in control. And they came and said, he's dead. And they speared his side. And the wonder is that blood and water issued. You see, the blood was the blood for our sins. Was the atonement for our sins. You see, the water was the cleansing. Was the life. Was the healing. Somehow the torment of that pain was able to come issue in the fluid that builds up as a result of sickness. And Isaiah said, by his stripes, we are healed. What a remarkable verse. You know, when sickness, when we're bitten by sickness, none of us like it. But I want to tell you that the anti-venom 
the serum is in the bite. Do you remember, you know, Lazarus' sisters? And they were very upset and very vocal that Jesus hadn't come when Lazarus was dying. You know, sometimes we don't quite see the whole story. And when Jesus finally comes, <laughs> they've got a mouthful. And rightly so. And sometimes we can be a little critical. But you see, they understood that the anti-venom to the sickness was Christ. They understood that if Jesus had been there, Lazarus would not have died. Lazarus would have been healed. But of course, Jesus had greater plans. And, you know, he, he was a remarkable person. He put up with the mouthful. We find it a little hard, don't we? You know, and, and rightly so. They were upset. They had to go through all the pain, death, seeing him. You know, they didn't have medicines like today. Just agonize, finally die and then be buried. And Jesus knew all along. But he was, he was teaching us, he was teaching the world that he's the resurrection and the life. Amen? The resurrection. And, and so we've got the serpent sting of sickness. And I want to tell you when that sting of sickness is there, God wants you to turn your eyes and turn your faith and trust him. Because out of that sickness will come a faith that will produce the serum. That will bring healing and wholeness. Secondly, we find that the bite of the serpent comes in the form of temptation. Temptation. And I'm talking about things that all of us are familiar with. The, the simplicity of it, we're all familiar. The, the serpent sting of temptation is common to all mankind, familiar to us all. Often it comes from nowhere. Or it becomes because of some inherent weakness or disposition we may feel. And the venom that entices us to do wrong affects us in a powerful way. And I want to tell you this morning that the anti-venom, the serum to overturn the terrible effects consequences of yielding to temptation are in the power of the temptation, are in the temptation itself. You know, we have that story of Joseph and, you know, it's, it's quite colorful really. Uh, Genesis 39, uh, 6 says, and Joseph was handsome uh, in form and appearance. Okay, and then the verse, next verse says, now it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and she said, lie with me. Now, I don't know whoever said the Bible's boring. You know, it's, it's full of stories and intrigue and disasters and salvation. It, it's, it's not boring. It's not boring. And here we find that Joseph, who has the responsibility for you know, Potiphar's entire estate. He's a fine, strapping young man, handsome, we're told. 
and part of his wife sets her eyes on him and tries to entice him. And you know, the, it would have been so easy. It would have been so easy to succumb. But as you read the story, you find that Joseph goes through the reasoning. Look, your master's put me, given me the responsibility of the household. You know, I can't let him down. And after rationalizing the situation with Potiphar's wife, Joseph said in verse 9, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see, the serum came out of the temptation. The temptation with all its force and power and enticement, allurement and its power was broken when the recognition was made that if I do this, I failed God. I failed God. I, how can I, I do such a thing? How can I do such a thing? When I was 17, I went to Bible college and uh, they made an exception. Normally, you've got to be 18. But I was 17. They allowed me to come and... The first year at Bible College, uh, in our semester break, uh, I went up to Cairns. And uh, I stayed with an island family. Beautiful. Beautiful situation. Lovely. And I was faced with a situation, a temptation, that would have destroyed my life. That if I had succumbed, I wouldn't have the future and I wouldn't have the life that God has blessed me with. And I can still remember the power of that temptation. I can still remember how easy it would have been to do. And it would have been hidden. I can still remember it all. But at the same time, in that temptation, I saw the hand of God on my life. I recognized the call of God. I recognized the ministry. And I said, I can't do this. I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. And you know, I thank God for that. I didn't understand that. I thank God that somehow, without having the theology and the Bible knowledge, I was able to take the sting of the serpent and with God's grace make an anti-venom. Make a serum, and as I applied that serum, the power of that sting was diminished. And I was able to leave with my head high. The anti-venoms in the temptation, if only we learn how we can take it and harness it. You know, Jesus, uh, Judas had a problem with financial dishonesty. And Jesus knew that. He knew his weakness. He knew that he loved the coin and loved the wealth and had an ability for cheating. And yet, he chose him and he gave him the purse. He gave him responsibility for the finances. Because Jesus knew there was the answer. There was the anti-venom. There was the serum. But Judas failed. 
and came to a tragic end. We often say if only we were not in that situation, we would not be tempted to sin. If only things had been better. We, we have all sorts of excuses for succumbing to temptation, but we have it all wrong. It's that situation that affords us the victory and the triumph. Time's going. I had a few more things to say, but I, I, I want to come to the third point. And this is one of the horrible Bites, you know, no bites good. I've never been bitten by a serpent, but you know, I've read of people that have, and it's not something you want. And uh, and, and what, what one of the powerful stings of the serpent is attacks. He's attacks. Okay, the devil's attacks. Paul makes it very clear that the fiery serpents uh, are set. Uh, to destroy the effectiveness of God's people when he says in Ephesians 6, 6, 6, 16, Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts. There's the word fiery of the wicked one. And so constantly we've got these darts, uh, we've got these attacks, we've got these uh, fiery darts that come into our lives and upset us and you know, what, you know, we had a good day, but now it's been spoiled. Constantly we are bombarded with the fiery darts of the devil. It seems that there's always something that does not go right. Or something that comes against us. And we ask ourselves, why does God allow these painful experiences? We don't like them into our lives when we're trying our best to serve God with all our heart. Has anyone ever had an attack? Well, you've had many, many, many fiery darts. And, you know, we, we have a beautiful story in Acts 28. And, uh, I, you know, Paul was one of the unique servants of God. He was able to do and accomplish for Christianity probably what no one else did. And he's coming to the end of his life. He's heading for Rome. And he's on a boat. And he has to experience a shipwreck. I was going to say the luxury of, of a shipwreck. But you know, shipwrecks in the old days, they weren't pleasant. A shipwreck. Can you imagine the storm? Can you imagine the violence? Can you imagine what was going through the minds of the sailors? Can you imagine Paul God? I'm walking in your will. God, I'm following your purpose. I believe I'm doing all that you ever asked me to do. And God allows him to get shipwrecked. Ever been shipwrecked? I've been shipwrecked. No, I mean spiritually. <laughs> no, no, you've been, some might have been shipwrecked physically, but, you know, where... All that you do just seems to have come to nothing and you're shipwrecked. Well, that was bad enough, but the, uh, he went to the island. He wasn't far from the island of Malta. And uh, the natives, we're told, on the island of Malta were very kind, exceptionally kind. And uh, they got firewood. It was icy cold and raining and they made a fire and you know, kept the survivors warm and as comfortable as they could. 
And Paul thought, you know, Paul was a hands-on man. Paul said, I can't sit back and let them do it all. So he went and got some wood. He got a bundle of wood and he threw it on the fire. And out of the bundle of wood, the heat caused a viper to come and latch onto his arm. He's a man in the will of God. You know, the shipwreck would have been enough to shipwreck me. But God allowed this poisonous snake. Did it hurt? Absolutely. Was it poisonous? Yes. Because the natives stood back and said, goodness, he survived the shipwreck. He must be a bad man because now the gods have caused the serpent to destroy him and judge him. Did he feel the effects of the poison? I think he did. I think it would have been so unpleasant. It would have been horrific, horrible. Because they, they, they were waiting for him to swell, his body to swell and die. Because that was the effect of the poison, of the sting, of the toxins in the serpents. What was Paul to do? Well, it's my time. My time's up. No, he knew. He knew God's hand was upon him. He shrugged it off. You see, the anti-venom, the serum, was in the bike. He took that in faith. And whether he had heard the words of Jesus for one, one of the apostles that was with Jesus, Acts 28, 3... But when, I'm sorry, not that I'm going. Um, Mark 16, 18, they will take up serpents. Uh, this is in the Great Commission. Uh, they will take up uh, serpents. And if, any, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. This amazing truth brought about his survival, brought about victory. And the, the, the natives... Turn from, he's a wicked man. The gods are against him to, he must be God. The serpent's sting did not destroy him. You know, I, I want to tell you that there are many, many attacks. And, you know, sometimes when we're serving God so faithfully, sometimes, you know, we're doing all that we can. We can't do any more and nothing seems to go right. And then we have the viper that latches onto our hand and prevents us. And we can either go down with it or we can believe the words of Jesus. And we can in faith allow that poison, that situation, that destructive road. We can allow the serum, the anti-venom of the serpent's sting, of the attack. Bring healing and wholeness and victory. And realize that God's still in control, even though we don't see any evidence from it. I've, time's up. I just want to finish this morning on quite a, a passage that's probably never been taken the way I'm taking it. It's in Exodus 4, verses 1 to 5. Look, let's, if, if we can turn, I, I want to read it. I want to read it. Uh, I, I've made reference to... Uh, uh, verses but we haven't read uh, it says 
uh, Exodus 4. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. This is God sending Moses now to Egypt to set his people free. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A rod. It was his staff. Faithful staff. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Take authority. And he reached out his hand and caught it and became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Isn't that remarkable? You know, when you tie it in, the Holy Spirit, every reference to serpent, every reference is tied in supernaturally. And here, the evidence of God's authority, the evidence that would be given to Pharaoh was the power of the rod, and the rod which was a symbol of authority. It was a symbol of miraculous power. It was, you know, it's a message in itself what the rod was. In the end, it was placed in the Ark of the Covenant. And, and it budded every year. You couldn't keep it down. And that rod became a serpent. And God was saying that you have authority over the sting of sickness, the sting of temptation and the sting of attack. And the experience taken, authority becomes a rod. It thrusts us into God's power and God's provision. And that's the love of God. That when God saved us and set us apart, He gave us all the provision that we'll ever need. Will you stand with me this morning? Let's just bless the Lord for a few moments. Lord, we just want to thank you this morning for the power of your word and its truth. I pray, Lord, this morning that, Lord, we'll take the serum that will bring healing. And, Lord, give us power and save us, Lord, from the situation we're in. I pray it will work in every one of our lives. Oh, Lord, we take it this morning. We enjoy its power. We enjoy your provision. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you, God, that every need that we have, God, you've met, you've given us a cure, and we give you praise and glory. Amen. Amen. God bless you.